0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Podcasting from the ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 656 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Club Podcast. That would be not the neighbor of the beast, but someone who lives down the street. Technically, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, <laughs>
1: maybe even the next street over. Possibly, depending. possibly. My name is uh, Matt Baum, and
0: I will be your not-as-normally-masculine-and-macho
1: head number one why. Because. You'll see. You know Oh, why. right. No, I got it. Sorry. I, <laughs> you're here. You know what we're doing. i uh, sorry. I... I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, your head number two, and I'm just as macho as ever. We're back with another Cosmic Long Box episode where Matt and I review and discuss classic comics based on a theme. And after that, we'll head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to talk about our must-read picks for next NCBD. That's new comic book day for you noobs.
0: Yeah, the cool kids called NCBD. And if that's not enough for you, we've got a new episode of Slack Issues over at patreon.com backslash 2 nerd for our $5 and above patron support borders where joe barely lives through the first chapter of chris Claremont. No, no no it's not X-Men the first saga. chapter no
1: no it's not the first chapter I mean, like, technically it was, it's the first part yeah <laughs> the second volume is all tie-ins the first volume is all of the fall of the mutants and i am here to tell you it is eight chapters too long oh anyway, man carry on but now it's
0: time to unveil our theme and get into back-issue review time! It's a ziggurat. Wow. Yeah. Internet, back-issue review time in the
1: Ziggurat.
0: I'm doing it for the ladies this week, so...
1: Yeah, yes, we are. It is both International Women's and Women's History Month, so the Cosmic Longbox wanted us to get in touch with our feminine side. I don't know if that's what that means to celebrate women. It just means we're celebrating women. Yeah. This time, we'll be taking a look at some of our favorite female-identifying characters and even some creators in comics. We spend a lot of time talking about dudes in the show, so it'll be a nice break
0: from the normal stinky locker room sausage fest. We host weekly, meaning it's all PMS and mother-in-law jokes from here on out, right? All
1: right, Matt, ladies first. Ah! I see what you did there. All
0: right. <laughs> We're moronic. And this is what we do. This is what they expect. Of course, we have yeah, the utmost true. respect for ladies. That's why we're talking about them all show, starting with Amazing Spider-Man annual number 16. Yeah, the very,
1: no, Now, hold on. This is yeah. from
0: Marvel, 1982. You're saying, Matt, you just said this is an Amazing Spider-Man comic. Cool your yeah. jets, all right? That's not why I'm saying it, but all right, we'll get there. This is written by Roger Stern with art by John Ramita Jr. Inked by John Ramita Sr. Yes. Here's your uh, setup, if you will. Peter sees Monica Rambeau in Port Authority bus terminal, and he gets super horny and proceeds to stalk her. Straight yeah, up, that's, that's what happens. Uh, that's
1: what's, he, that is what he's happens. He's like, who is that lady? Damn.
0: <laughs> Monica walks into a bad part of town. Monica ends up walking into a bad part of town where purse snatchers do their thing in broad daylight, and she proves she's way more badass than Spidey Stalker thinks. She even blasts Spidey with her powers accidentally when he surprises her. That's right. We're talking about Monica Rambeau, Captain Marvel. Flashback. We see Rambeau as a cop in NOLA.
1: That's uh, sexy talk for New Orleans. Getting, I believe she is um, she's like a harbor master or something. She's like a... Yeah, she's, she's not just a cop, but no, she's yes, like, she's got like a, she's got a, a real title. Like, and stuff. uh, whatever, whatever the, it's not the coast guard, but it's whoever patrols like the yeah. water down there. She's getting yelled at by her no good
0: misogynistic chief. It's very '80s movie TV. Like, yeah,
1: I'm gonna, I'm tired of your antics, Rambo. I'm like, right. I'm gonna kick your spaghetti bending butt back to back to my land. But
0: then he's also like, maybe you've gotten in line. And She's like, like the other men around here, you just don't like ladies having this power. And he's like, why, <laughs> It's great. <laughs> Professor Andre LeClaire, who worked with yeah. Rampo's grandfather back in World War II shows up. He asked Monica to escort him to an oil rig where he was working on tech that would draw energy from other universes. One catch, it's funded by a crooked South American Generalissimo. Whoops. He does say,
1: <laughs> you know,
0: maybe I should have been a little pickier about who I worked with. <laughs> After showing the guards her goods in a bikini, they, of course, let her aboard Monica shirks the Generalissimo's advances and he decides, that's enough of you. It's time to test this machine on you, girl. You can guess what happens next. Boom, Captain Marvel is born. And then her costume is cobbled together from leftover Mardi Gras costumes. (laughs)
1: Yeah, (laughs) yes.
0: Right. The flashback ends. Monica meets the Thing at Four Freedoms Plaza who lets her know there was another Captain Marvel, which was Mar-Vell, alien dude, but he's dead. So this is pre Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel.
1: She was Ms. Marvel, but I believe at this point in time, she uh, had retired. This is, I believe this is post uh, Avengers annual 10, where she is absorbed
0: by rogue. She got all messed up at that point.
1: Yeah. I think she's
0: out of the picture at the time. Monica was in New York to talk to Reed Richards about her new powers, trying to figure out where they came from. She ends up accidentally beaming herself to Avengers mansion, shorts out Iron Man's armor and Spidey shows up to, Protect the Avengers It's a big misunderstanding But Monica's cool enough to cover for Spidey And the Avengers help her with her new powers And hey, a new friend is made, right? She would go on to join the Avengers later on yeah. Stern and John Romita Jr. were really making a statement here with Monica Rambeau. When she first shows up, she's wearing, like, a power suit, like Hillary Clinton pant suit, Not a skirt. She's not showing off any skin or anything. Later on, she is running around in a bikini, but I'm saying that she's using her sexuality on her terms to trick these simple-minded well, dudes yeah. guarding I mean, look, the professor's tech. Uh, you know? Yeah,
1: yes. Yeah. So, I mean, look, we don't have to, like, bend over backwards to, like, justify it. It's, no, it's not, not. It's not the best but it but you're not wrong yeah it's she knows it's what she, she's doing she is she is tricking her way onto this uh oil this rig. rig yeah so that she can figure out what's going on uh despite the fact that we know she can just beam in there light speed style but well, whatever let's <laughs> she's scared to use her power no no no. at that point she didn't have power oh, no yet. that's it pre-powers you're right yeah, pre-powers. she's getting the powers yeah, yeah, yeah. on the oil rig no, no, so you're right, right now she's uh, using it's her. just She did still decide to take the bus from New Orleans to New York. (laughs) Yeah, that is true.
0: But right now she's using her feminine
1: wiles, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
0: first page, the first full page spread we see of Captain Marvel, like standing in the Empire State Building is awesome. It's crackling with power, and she just looks like a badass. It, It had to be pretty exciting for a lot of people at this time to see a black superhero that didn't have black in their name and was a woman and wasn't just a street level fist fighter dealing with criminals in the ghetto. There's nothing,
1: uh, there's nothing about this that is stereotyped. Not at all. Nothing stereotypical about her uh, other than like the cop show stereotype, which is nothing to do with race. But like, yeah, you could do that or race or gender. I mean like, no, right.
0: Exactly. Like, yeah, she really Uh, bucks the system here. And I thought it was really cool. I've never read this annual. It is very classic. Marvel Fair. Of course, she bumps into all the heroes in New York. Her origin is kind of dumb. You know, it's a typical yeah, scientific it's, experiment it's gone wrong. But fashioned. yeah, this is Marvel's first high-profile black female superhero, and I thought it was really good. I'm giving this a buy it.
1: All right, there were some things where initially I kind of rolled my eyes, like where she like whips off this robe and she's in this sexiest L bikini. And the first time we see her, Peter Parker is immediately like, I got to find out what's up with that. hot Yeah, shit. he's just like straight up and, horny. And like, <laughs> so there's a lot of that. There's some of that stuff is just like, OK, guys, dial it down. Um, but they are trying here and you can tell that they're trying. And you're absolutely right that there's nothing in here. There's no stereotypes here about uh, her her blackness, her gender, except for the very real situation that she feels she has reached the end of her career in law enforcement because yeah. she won't be given the chance she deserves yeah and that's like that's 100 accurate like I, she was she was absolutely right to probably storm out of that job she took over this role with no fanfare right like this she was introduced in an annual of spider-man and it's not that like it's not that captain marvel was necessarily the biggest name in comics but you know, the death of Captain um, of Captain Marvel graphic novel was a pretty big deal. You know well, that storyline where and, they fight Thanos and he gets like that's all a big deal. Sure, and to take it a step further, like
0: they didn't do this in a Marvel Spotlight, you know, number one or whatever. They did this in an annual, a Spider-Man annual that they knew well, but itself. But they did it in a
1: ish. I get. I mean, I I guess I'm trying to see it both ways. Like, yes, it's in a Spider-Man book where it's like more eyes are on it in theory. I don't think there's any doubt there but it's also like, she did not make her first appearance in the Avengers or in her own series. You know, she, uh, but yeah, but also like not in an episode, an issue of Marvel preview or, you know, one of the throwaway team up
0: to be fair. A lot of Avengers didn't make their first appearance in the, Avengers. yeah, it's true.
1: Yeah. You know what? It's true. Um, But so, yeah, I I think that she, uh, she stepped into this role that was vacant. And, you know, if you want to get cynical about it and say that Marvel just needed to keep the copyright alive, then you can, but, they really made a go of making Monica Rambeau an important character in the eighties. Yeah. And if they wanted and, to keep the copyright
0: afloat, wouldn't it be a much safer at this time to make it a, another white dude or yeah,
1: just bring back captain Marvel from yeah, the dead or bring or, back yeah, captain Marvel. Right. You know? Yeah. Like you've already got a Ms. Marvel. What's stopping you from sure. making Captain Marvel. Like I, I think they like, took a yeah, you're here. absolutely right. I think, I think that we're definitely in the right place. Yeah. I, I think that this, uh, I think that this was an important move. Uh, for Marvel. I think she's a great character and I had never read this either and I thought that this was uh, pretty fun Uh, and the art is great. John Romita Jr. inked by his dad is always a treat. Uh, I really liked it. It's a buy it for me. Meanwhile in Metropolis it's Man of Steel number two from DC Comics 1986. It's written by John Byrne with art by Byrne and Dick Giordano Uh, Cover price on this bad boy is 75 cents. And here is your setup. Daily Planet editor-in-chief Perry White assigns Lois Lane to get an interview with Superman. Following a brief appearance in the last issue, this is our first real introduction to post-crisis Lois Lane. And this ain't Superman's girlfriend we're talking about. This Lois is a feisty, take-no-prisoners reporter who gets her story no matter the cost. I would argue borderline crazy person. Uh, yeah. <laughs> After breaking the news of Superman's existence, Lois discovers the Man of Steel has returned to Metropolis in full red and blue regalia. She immediately sets out to get the scoop on the mysterious strange visitor. Meanwhile, Lex Luthor lurks in the shadows. We don't get a good look at him yet. And Superman does his best Christopher Reeve impression as he wanders Metropolis, helping people and stopping crimes in progress. As Lois arrives late to crime scene after crime scene, committing the worst 1980s fashion crimes imaginable in the process. I think
0: she looks great. Personally. You do not. <laughs>
1: yeah. She figures out that the only way to get the Man of Steel's attention is to put herself in danger. Silver Age Lois style. That broad was always throwing herself off buildings. Oh, yeah. And Niagara Falls. <laughs> Don't forget that. Uh, in the movie, yeah, Superman too. What follows is a flirty little get-to-know-you scene reminiscent of the 1978 movie with fewer mentions of undergarments. What Lois doesn't know is that this meeting also begins her relationship with her rival, fellow Daily Planet reporter Clark Kent. Twist! Not spoilers. (laughs) This is a fantastic comic that updates Lois Lane for a new generation, one that still holds up today, fashion choices notwithstanding. Writer artist John Byrne is slowly building this new version of Superman's world. And this spotlight on Lois is a great example of how things have changed. Uh, and when I say slowly, I mean if you read Man of Steel in its entirety, if you pay attention, uh, you will discover that something like seven years passes from Man of Steel One to Man of Steel Six. And so Superman really like they really take their time. Um making sure that this world knows and understands what Superman is. Like they say in this thing that Lex Luthor is going to go away for an entire year. And then he suddenly shows up like two issues later. (laughs) Yeah. The art by Byrne and Inker Dick Giordano is of course excellent. And I've always loved how Byrne draws Metropolis as this really gritty place that's still full of life. Like John Byrne's Metropolis is gross. Uh, if you're down at the street level, like things look dirty. Yeah. It's not seedy. like, not it's like Gotham city, not like Gotham city dirty where it's like, Oh, this is just scary all the time. Yeah. You mean it's not like, like Gotham city
0: nightmarish,
1: <laughs> is what Right. You mean. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, it's dank. Right. It's and 70s uh, New York
0: is what it looks like.
1: Once the ongoing series starts, Giordano is replaced on inks by Terry Austin. And the art recaptures that slick look that their run on uncanny X-Men was known for but Giordano's more loose inks still suit burns work pretty well. I really like it. I know I don't need to say it again, but I absolutely love this era of Superman and this version of Lois remains my favorite man. Still number two gets a huge. By it. Okay, you keep saying that she's like committing all these fashion crimes.
0: She looks very '80s, and she looks good. But you can't say like it's it's nuts. It's nowhere near as crazy as like some of the X stuff we just read. Lois likes chunky. Jackets. Oh, I don't know, man. She likes big, I, comfy sweaters. She likes a nice, you know. She wears a lot of pants. Like she's dressed like kind of an '80s Hollywood star would be dressed. I don't think she looks bad at all in any of this. I love her character because she's a lunatic. They could ride her all sexy and damsel in distress, but they made her a crazy person. And that's what makes her so lovable. She's a, she's a monster. She's a pit bull. She'll go after her story no matter what, like doesn't care, life or limb, who cares? Gotta get the story, you know? And I, I love that Lois as well. It's I really silly. like the art as well, Burn The art is, is very good, just yeah. excellent. He's and he was made to do stuff like this. I don't know anything about this series, and it's super weird. And while I was looking for it, I was like, "What is the title of this?" It turns out it's just "The Man of Steel." It's the Man of Steel. Yeah, there's no Superman involved in it, which kind of blew my no. mind. But this is fun. I'm giving it a buy it.
1: Oh, one uh, that was one when you were talking about Lois. One thing that I loved uh about uh how she puts herself in danger is like there's this wink wink nudge nudge like oh no lois i saw you had that uh you had that oxygen tank under your car seat well <laughs> you always have one of those in your car wink wink we i know you weren't really in any trouble and then after he leaves he's like if i had been on the other side of the planet That would have run out, and she would be dead. He's like, "That bitch be crazy." (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So it's like, yeah, Lois thought she was protecting herself, but she is so reckless. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah. She's dangerous. Yeah.
0: Easy miss. I've got you. You. You've got me. Who's got you? Let's jump to the Great White North where Canadian men, they know how to respect a woman. We're talking about Alpha Flight number 34, except for those truckers. Those guys are assholes. It's from Marvel, 1986. This is written by Bill Mantlow with art by Sal Bushima. Here's your setup Puck is in the OmniJet searching for Heather Hudson, who's doing her best to protect Wolverine out of guilt for the part she thinks her husband Mac played in Logan's becoming Wolverine. There was a whole thing where like a while back she noticed a file and like the entire title of the file is like that time that I helped Wolverine turn into Wolverine and put adamantium into his skeleton and stuff. (laughs) It's kind of ridiculous. Lady Deathstrike shows up in some kind of weird samurai armor that I'm pretty sure we never see again outside of this issue. She's got an army of samurais with her. Deathstrike reveals that her dad was the one that put the adamantium in Wolvie. Keep in mind, at this point, we did not know any of this. They
1: busted this secret wide open in the pages of Alpha Flight. Oh no, this is her outfit. This is her outfit, except that her helmet very much like Spiral in Fall of the Mutants, but there she's would be wearing some like slight- shoulder
0: pads and stuff. Yeah, too. no, that I was like- her
1: that's that's her outfit. She only had that that uh, samurai helmet thing around the sides of her head. Otherwise, it was just like a a a close like skull cap and not a full helmet. Yeah. Uh, this is the
0: this is the outfit. She was pretty damn weird to me. Deathstrike reveals that her dad was the one that put the adamantium into Wolvie and she wants it back. Keep in mind, we did not know this at the time. They busted out this massive X-Men Wolverine secret in the pages of alpha flight. And I love that Wolverine and Deathstroke end up squaring off. She's got a sword that gives off EMPs for some reason. I don't know why that's going to help you Wolverine, but it badass. This leaves Heather all by herself to prove that she is the new leader of Alpha Flight by taking on an army of samurais, but she's not going to do it using her husband's old code name. Heather is going to be her own woman, albeit wearing her hubby's battle suit, and names herself Vindicator. After she dispatches the samurai army, Puck accidentally crashes into Wolverine, thanks to the EMP that I mentioned from Death Strike sword, and Heather shows up just in time to save him, proving She's the new badass leader of Alpha Flight and the only woman leading a Marvel super team at this time, by the way. Alpha Flight is a book famous for its first run by John Byrne. And don't get me wrong. I love the Byrne run. It's what made me a lifelong fan of these Canadian heroes. But the Bill Mantlo run does not get enough love. Here, Sal is on art, and I love it. He's one of the classic Marvel masters, needs no introduction. But Jim Lee would take over with issue 51 for his first published Marvel work. And I don't think that shit is even in print
1: currently. No, I doubt it. That is a
0: damn crime. Uh, Unless there's a Marvel epic collection. There isn't. There isn't at all. There's an omnibus of the Burn stuff, and then it just stops, which sucks. Mm -hmm. Heather Hudson is one of my favorite characters because of her arc. Burn kind of started her out as Mac's mousy wife, brilliant scientist who created this battle suit. And then she just slowly becomes this badass hero because she has to. Mac dies. The team falls apart. Canada needs a super team, so she's like, screw it. I'm putting on the suit. I'm going to prove to everybody that I am a badass. And she does it. Like up until this point, everyone was constantly like, Oh, is Heather? Okay. Heather, are you all right? Heather, you better hang back. Heather, we don't want you to get hurt. So just chill out
1: here. <laughs> I'm giving this a huge buy it. Yeah, no, this was fun. Uh, as you know, very little about that era of Superman. I know Jack and shit about this uh, era of alpha flight. Now I sent you a link to a picture of the, most commonly known Lady Deathstrike outfit. And it is this outfit exactly, except the colors are different. Yeah, I guess the colors are wacky. I'll give uh, you that. And what I was talking about where they changed Spiral in that X-Men book... This helmet has a mask on it for some reason that covers her eyes, and and that's what looks off. Yeah. If she were to lose the mask and the colors would shift, it would look just like Lady Death. Yeah, Strike. they were going for Lady Deathstrike in like
0: samurai armor type thing.
1: I don't know why she's know. hiding her identity because she says right away like my dad is Lord Darkwind. Blah, yeah, blah blah. blah. <laughs> uh, it, it's yeah. Um. So I thought this was good. I liked it. It's a buy it. Let me tell you, uh, I remember seeing this cover as a kid, either in, uh, I don't know, Marvel Age or um, I'll bet it was Marvel Age. It was either Marvel. It was Marvel Age or or um, they were really trying
0: to pump this up because when Byrne left Alpha Flight I or like b- bullpen bulletins or, they or were like just,
1: something they were advertising.
0: They were terrified. Everybody was gonna be like, all right, John Byrne left. I'm done. You know, and they yeah. so I think they really push this. Uh, and that's why Wolverine is here, by the
1: way. <laughs> sure. I just don't know. I don't know why I would have had a 1986 issue of Marvel Age. But I remember seeing this cover and being mesmerized by it. And with good reason. It is by a very young, fresh-faced Mike Mignola. Yeah. Who also did a few issues of Alpha Flight. When I opened this issue and I saw that the art was by Sal Dushema, whom I adore, I could not help but go, oh, because I thought it was going to be Mike <laughs> Mignola. Uh, and and that is not to say I did not think it was beautiful. I love Sal Shema. He is inked by some guy I have literally never heard of in my entire life. I was going to ask this, you if you knew. I think it, this like- might be the only comic book this guy ever worked on. Jerry Talauk, T-A-L-A-O-C. T-A-L-A-O-C. I, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great comic. I was a little deflated to find out that this cover I've been thinking about since I was like eight years old, <laughs> it doesn't look anything like the insides. <laughs> but hey, that's comics for you. Fair enough. What? Hey, no! Hey, don't go! No, come back, eh? Oh, look what you did. Everybody's going. Come, come back. I won't let him do it again. Yeah. My fault was yeah, your yeah, fault. You're such a From wonder. the great white no, north to the eastern block, it's Black Widow number one. From Marvel Comics, it's 1999. This one is, oops, I forgot to change the credits. This is written by Devin Grayson with art by J.G. Jones. The cover price is $2.99. And here's your solicit, I guess. Uh, some of these I actually found solicits for. This is just more of a recap. The Black Widow has been assigned to a rapistan, <laughs> which sounds made up, <laughs> by both the Pentagon and Russian Intel to investigate a new bioweapon created by Dr. Didier Inez. Didier Inez. Sure. However, the new Black Widow, Yelena Belova, has been shadowing her in order to take her place as the premier r- Russian spy. In 1999, Marvel Knights ruled the comic stands and the publisher was riding high off of successful relaunches of Daredevil, Black Panther, Inhumans, and Frank Castle, Heavenly Avenger. Oof. With this issue, the first three for sure, the fourth one, not so much. Yeah. With this issue, it, it was Natasha Romanov's turn as Devin Grayson and J.G. Jones brought a classic yet updated take on the Russian super spy to comics. Grayson would soon become one of the hottest writers of the time with successful runs on titles like Batman Gotham Knights and Titans at DC. Then she vanished. She went away. Yeah. She did go away like, from comics vanish. for a while, but she did. She wrote Nightwing for a while too, yep. but that was later. That was a little later here. We find Natasha reminiscing about past events, former friends and lovers and reminders of a former life. She's about to leave the country for a mission, unaware that she's being watched by a young Yelena Belova, who you might recognize as everyone's favorite new black widow in the MCU. Also good luck going to find a first print of this on eBay. Yes. Back then, she was Natasha's homicidal replacement for the role in the employ of the Red Room. Naturally, there can be only one, just like a Highlander, and, uh, which is not true. But in the comments, it was kind of true at the time. And Yelena makes it her mission to take out Natasha and claim the title for herself once and for all. Grayson does a fantastic job illustrating the differences between the two widows. With Natasha as the cool as a cucumber stealth operative, like kind of balleting her way into, into spaces and, and uh, checking things out unseen, and then swooping up to the rafters. And Yelena's the one that just knocks down the door with a machine gun blazing, killing everybody in sight. There's also a fun twist about how the governments of both America and Russia think that they've hired the Black Widow to do the same job, not realizing that they're talking about two different Black Widows, which I thought was cute. Grayson's dialogue gets a tiny bit melodramatic here and there, but otherwise this is a very smart and exciting adventure story. JG Jones delivers absolutely breathtaking artwork with help on colors by Dave Kemp. I'm not exactly sure what role Dave Kemp played in the proceedings. Uh, I don't think he did full colors. I think Jones usually worked on his own, but uh, the credits are written as a fun little mission debriefing like dossier. So all the jokes are cute. All the jobs are cute little joke. nicknames. JG Jones has been more or less absent from the comics landscape for quite some time due to some pretty serious health issues. And I had forgotten just how absolutely amazing his work is. Yeah. That dude is incredible. He has a true master of form. His spies are sexy. His heroes are super. Yeah. And he is no slouch when it comes to drawing real life stuff either. And his this, black
0: widow is Angelina Jolie. <laughs> no question.
1: <laughs> uh, you know what? I actually did think she kind of looked like Scarlett Johansson. No, off
0: that's up. Jolie, man.
1: Look at her. Well, face. sure. You know, This issue is packed full of things like commercial airliners, military equipment, weapons, Apache helicopters, rocket launchers, bases, deserts, the whole nine yards, and it is all just gorgeous. Black Widow number one not only serves as an awesome introduction to a new female star in the Marvel Universe, but a wonderful reintroduction for one of the greats. This gets a buy it. Yeah, Jones drew the hell out of this. And I
0: I, just like you, I forgot how much I love that guy. So friggin' talented. For some reason maybe it's just the movie or whatever, but I rewrote this comic book in my brain as Yelena was always her sister. And no. so when I revisited it, I went, Oh they God, are unre- unre- unrelated, totally yeah. right. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I mean, like I very much like this book and I love the story and I love the setup and it makes a lot more sense than maybe her and her little sister were kidnapped and turned into. Yeah. The I device. mean, uh,
1: <laughs> so like now you know. they've, they've massaged Yelena's character. Now yeah. they are not like actually sisters, but they are like, we were both in the they red grew room up Yelena. together. Yelena yeah. a good guy. Like there's none of that. Uh, but like early on, Yelena was a homicidal maniac. Yeah, like, she was, she a murder was machine. not good. In fact, she would become a full on supervillain here in a little while. Yeah, there was there's a second Black Widow miniseries by Greg Rucka. That's more about Yelena, I think, or maybe it's the third one. But
0: editor's note, it was called Black Widow, Pale Little Spider. See our required reading section in the notes
1: for more. Master Spy Matt. When Bendis gets a hold of her in New Avengers, he turns Yelena Belova into the super adaptoid. Like Hydra Oh, I changes, forgot about that. Hydra transforms her into a human version of the super adaptoid and she invades Jessica Jones and Luke Cage's wedding. Yeah, I forgot about and that. And ends up dying. Yeah, uh, I think so.
0: At this time, it was one of the things where they wanted to reinvent the Black Widow and one of the best ways to do that is introduce a nemesis. And we really yeah. didn't have a Black Widow nemesis before Not this. Not really, no. That I can think of. I mean, she just always, you know, fought Hydra and aim and stuff like that. But right. Yelena was like, Very interesting because she was Black Widow. She has all the same abilities. Came from the same place. She just doesn't give a shit, and Black Widow does (laughs) more or less. And and
1: she was better at being like uh, it says in this uh, in this comic that she's the only student of the Red Room to surpass Natasha. Yeah, like in terms of like literally better at what she does. So she's better at being the Black Widow than the Black Widow. But of course, Natasha's answer is like, yeah, in. In school, you are yeah sure, and you like, know, like, uh I've been hanging out with the Avengers for a little right. While, it's so. like you know uh, like my my best friend
0: is Daredevil, so whatever. Yeah. No, I'm giving uh, this a buy it. I really like this character. I do. Yeah, th- I ended up reading the whole series. It's only three issues, and it's on Marvel. It was longer. great. It's I, awesome. I do think I like how they've massaged the character a little more today. I like I Yelena where she's at now and yeah. the Kelly Thompson. I think day. she's in a good place. I'm not missing this version of the character. I guess no, but this comic is great. Let's jump from Russian spies to reformed assassins for Batgirl. Volume one, number 19 this is from DC 2001. It was written by Kelly Puckett with art by Damian Scott. Here's your setup. Billy Ray Blackwell is scheduled to die in the gas chamber at Blackgate prison for Gotham's first execution in 20 years. But Batgirl, Cassandra Kane at the time, has decided no one dies tonight, which Also happens to be the title of the story. Cassandra is the child of Kane, a talented and brutal contract killer that has crossed paths with Batman several times. Kane raised Cassie as a mute, and instead of teaching her to speak, she was taught to read body language so as to predict movements and strike first brutally. This made Cassie into the amazing martial arts talent she is today, but also... Not very talkative at this point. Yeah, practically mute. She has been redeeming herself as Batgirl, and her final murder took place on August 8th, which just happens to be today, the day they're going to kill Billy Ray. Not like August 8th. A year ago, like when she was a little. Yeah, a while ago. It it was on August 8th, that's all. Right. After breaking up a robbery in an electrical appliance store where she even stops a cop from shooting a thief, Cassie heads to Blackgate to stop the execution. She frees Billy from the chamber, but then she's confronted by the mother of Billy's victim who asks for justice for her little girl. I'm not going to spoil the ending, but Cassie quickly discovers that justice and saving lives are not always as clear cut as she thought. I love this run. And Cassie is by far the most interesting back girl that I have read. Not because she's broken or because she was raised by a psychotic killer. Cassie had to overcome her upbringing to become a hero and did so with the help of her father's nemesis. But she didn't just jump right into being that hero. She didn't understand. She fundamentally didn't understand really how society worked. She couldn't talk. She had to learn all of this stuff because she was raised by 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 a madman in the most awful way you can possibly think of. And what's
1: really interesting about it is... I think Kane loved her. <laughs> it was really gross. I mean, in a, in his twisted way. Yeah. And, not, and not every... I'm not, not saying
0: really. in a healthy way, but I mean, like, part of him's like, that was his little girl, and he was proud of her and stuff. I'm not slamming Barbara, so don't at me, you jerks. She had her time as Batgirl, and Oracle was an even more impressive character change for her after becoming paralyzed. But this Batgirl is... So wasted. I'm really glad she's back and running around with spoiler, but I miss this Batgirl so much. Puckett yeah. had a wonderful arc and voice for this character, and Damien Scott's pencils were perfect for demonstrating her martial arts prowess and just the raw speed at which she moved. He has this kind of... Graffiti-informed, animation-informed style, like Mm -hmm. kind of rounded faces, but his action is just crazy, and he went out of his way to make sure that nobody else in the books is moving like that. It's just Cassie. It's just Batgirl's the one that's lithe and slipping through things and flying past people. This issue is a very solid distillation of Cassie's Batgirl learning to be a hero while overcoming her upbringing and her relationship with her father. This is a massive buy it. I love this character.
1: So I'm get, I'll am i get it out of the way. This is a buy it. Um, I, I We've talked about this before on the show. I This is one of my favorite runs of comics of all time. It's so great. And one of the reasons why it's so well regarded is because it's also very short. It's like maybe 30 some issues. Um, which seems like a lot, but they go real fast when you consider that the main character hardly ever talks.
0: Well, and also this is a time where, like, yeah, this came out on time. So 30 issues, a little over two years, done.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, fair. This is a very kind of simplistic morality play. And that's I don't mean that as a negative. I mean like this is like a child trying to figure out morality, right? She has learned through her own reaction to what she did as a child, that killing is bad. But other than that, like she doesn't really have context. She's like, she's got Batman and and, right. and Babs going like, hey, okay, now don't hurt that guy. Like you can't hurt that guy. You right. got to be able to throw a punch without killing somebody. And killing is
0: wrong. I've taught you right. that we've learned and, killing and is wrong. So like, and so now she's overcompensating.
1: She's, she's got, right. And so she's got that foundation, but also none of that, like she doesn't have years of context. Right. right. And so she's trying to, do what a child would do, which is save every life. Yeah. And that's an impossible, that's impossible. And on this day, it's even
0: more important because she's trying to save herself too.
1: Right. If this were a task you were undertaking in like Tabor, Iowa, you'd probably be good. Maybe even Omaha, Nebraska, but certainly not Gotham City. (laughs) Everything about this is brilliant from the writing and um, the dialogue where the dialogue is present and the dialogue is absent and the art tells the story uh the sound effects that are really wonderful some of them are just um subtle and normal and then other others where she's busting through glass yeah where the letters look like jagged shards of glass and, uh, and it's it's just so cool to the way as you were saying Damon Scott draws uh Cassandra moving through crowds of people as though they are standing still because essentially to her they are there are no motion lines. There are no speed lines like you would see in a traditional comic where you see like a swing going through the air. Yeah. Or like, it's just like, no, it's just Cass's Cass's body in motion and other people agog and then on the ground. Right. And it's so great. Um, there there's a scene uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep spoilers light, cause I know you don't want to spoil it, but uh, there is a scene at the end where she shows up at the execution and suddenly she is just in the gas chamber. Yeah. She's just in there and everyone is like, what the, whoa, what, <laughs> what <did> <laughs> <that?"> <laughs> Yeah. and uh, the, the warden, uh, the, the cops are trying to like get the door open, but it's sealed. She's taken the guards out immediately And she starts kicking at the window and the warden is like, he's standing on the outside of the window. And all you see is her foot hit the window. And there's like a whoop, like when you uh, like when the T-Rex takes a step in Jurassic park. Right. And and there's no sound. So she's kicking this soundproof impenetrable glass box. And the warden's like, let her wear herself out on the three inch quartz, And then uh, we're going to take the room. Uh, And then he turns around to make a phone call. (laughs) And the next thing you know, she is busted through the window. And this is like, this is a time, this is like a 14 year old girl. Yeah. uh, It's so good. Uh, This is a brilliant comic book. It's one of my favorites in the run. It is a huge buy. Read this run of Batgirl. So good. You know who's not mad about killing a bad guy? Wonder Woman. Nope.
0: <laughs> Do not get in her way. <laughs> that
1: is not the point of this story, however. It's Wonder Woman 195. It's DC. Comics from 2003. It's written by Greg Rucca, with art by Drew Johnson. The price on the cover is 225, and here's your solicit, thanks to the endless memory of Diamond Comics. A new creative team launches an incredible new era for comics. Best known heroine writer, Greg Rucka known for at the time, wonder woman, the Hekeshia graphic novel, which is great. Oh, drawn by JG Jones, by the way. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And he also had a run on Wolverine begins his highly anticipated open-ended run with a self-contained issue featuring breathtaking interior art from the team of drew Johnson, who also worked on tomb Raider and Ray Snyder, Who was uh, Tony Harris's uh, anchor on JSA, the Unholy Three, which is a wonderful Elseworlds series. It also goes with the Liberty Files. Yeah, that book was great. I forgot about that. While Wonder Woman fights to capture the brutal dictator of an African nation, a new hire at the Themysciran embassy discovers just how enormous Diana's mission truly is. For more information, see the featured article. (laughs) Thanks, Diamond. (laughs) This issue begins the underrated Greg Rucka run on the title, which sees Diana assume the role of ambassador of Themyscira. We follow her new Wrangler, Jonah McCarthy, during his first day on the job. We don't even see Wonder Woman at all until the end of the issue. Instead, we feel her presence as Jonah is introduced to the people tasked with running her embassy, cut with scenes of Diana in action as a little bit more than a blur and a swinging lasso. Rucka does a great job illustrating how larger-than-life Wonder Woman is without ever having her appear on the page. Her presence is felt in every panel, and we learn who she is, what her mission is, and how she is seen by different people around the world. Rucka has created a pretty interesting cast that we would learn more about in future issues. Special shout-out to Ferdinand, the embassy chef. No, No spoilers about Ferdinand. The art is by Drew Johnson, who is an artist. I don't (laughs) want to spoil that. I don't want to spoil what Ferdinand. It's a big reveal in the comic. All right, all right. The art is by Drew Johnson, who is an artist that we don't hear much uh, from these days. A quick search uh, shows that he is still working, and he recently put out a Godzilla graphic novel for Legendary. His work is excellent, especially the backgrounds. Johnson does a remarkable job setting every scene and creating a believable environment that the characters occupy. It's full of small details that you don't necessarily catch during a first read-through, like Ferdinand's prep table being raised up by a bunch of cinder blocks to match his height. The figure work can be a little awkward at times, uh, but overall, it's very strong. The issue ends with a really wonderful moment that celebrates the kind of person Wonder Woman really is to the people that know her best. 101 195 is the beginning of a great run and it remains one of my favorite takes on this character today. I don't ever hear people talking about the Greg Rucka Wonder Woman. Anymore. I, I, really I give this a huge buy. I, I mean,
0: loved it. I think people did because it, when they brought Greg Rucka back, it was kind of a big thing. He's returning. It Wonder was World.
1: a big thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: This is my favorite run of Wonder Woman and Greg Rucka. If you don't know him, one of the things that he does is write excellent heroines, wonderful stuff. Read his Stump Town. Uh, Read his Lazarus. Both, they're, they're so good. Whiteout was another book that he did. All featuring very strong female characters. And Wonder Woman, for a long time, of course has been a strong female character. But what Rucka did was like really subtly show us that unlike Superman, who... I mean, basically hides as a human being when he's not Superman or Batman who works in the shadows and knows, or Aquaman who's always underwater and who knows what the guy's doing anyway. Super Wonder Woman is here with the people. She is a Themyscrian, you know, woman living in an embassy in D.C., dealing with government officials and stuff like that. She has to be a diplomat. And he does yeah. such a great job sort of introducing that idea of the character that was always sort of like part of her character, but they never really
1: did anything with it.
0: I don't really remember anything about her being an amb- being right. considered an
1: ambassador before this. Like,
0: yeah, I think it would be mentioned here and there, but it's not like we ever saw her doing anything. So. Well, it may,
1: it may have also been that, like, they didn't, they just did not give Themyscira an embassy. Like, they didn't recognize it maybe as not. a sovereign, you know? It's yeah, just like, maybe not until now. Like, maybe the, Am- the Amazons came, they showed up, and they're like, hey, by the way, Right, we want to we want have relations, but I do think that like this is
0: a very Aaron Sorkin, almost kind of West Wing look at uh, kinda, Wonder yeah. Woman. It's a lot of walk and talk. There is definitely action; it's there, but it's a lot more of an exploration of what people think of Wonder Woman and who Wonder Woman really is. And I just love this run. This issue is a gigantic buy in for me. Let's move to a whole group of ladies and a full female creative team with birds of prey number 104 from dc the year was 2007 this is written by gail simone with art by nicola scott here's your setup black canary has taken time away from the team leaving barbara who's currently oracle to work with huntress big barda the new judo master lady blackhawk and hawk girl of which Barbara has only really worked with Huntress. So she's a little nervous to say the least, especially since the spy master is holding Oracle and the birds hostage, forcing them to run missions, blackmailing Oracle and making promises to clean Huntress's record, stuff like that. This is much more international spy birds of prey, which they really didn't do a lot of. They were kind of more street level stuff. Also, the Secret Six seemed to be on the same case. The prize is a rocket red suit for sale by a Russian oligarch, but the suit isn't empty and the birds aren't exactly international spies. The big draw here was the crossover of Simone's two books, Secret Six and Birds of Prey. Both runs are some of my favorite DC stuff of the time and just completely worth reading while Simone's birds team was strictly female. The secret six were made up a collection of villains forced to work together for reasons they would slowly discover while arguing and distrusting each other. <laughs> they did a lot of fighting, but it was always great in any other writer's hands that stick would have gotten old really fast, but Simone was wonderful in showing the team slowly coming together and almost becoming heroes at times. This is a younger Nicola Scott, and her first work at DC was both here and on Secret Six, but her art is still great. Scott has no problems here with a very large cast, and she's excellent on the action. There's a scene with Hawkwoman in particular that really stands out. I, I really miss Simone at DC and would love to see her get another chance with any of these characters. It, it's not that far in the past. I get it. But having two women as, as a main creative force on a book was not something you saw much of at the big two at this time. And it's definitely creators like Simone and Scott that paved the way for some of your favorite female creators working today. I am giving this such a huge buy it. And it made me want to go back and just start
1: with issue one and read through both of these series. They were so great. Yeah, no, I agree. This is great fun. Um, I, I guess I did not realize that secret six had actually started at this time, but I guess yeah, there was a, there was a secret six mini series before the ongoing that came out of infinite crisis out of uh, the villains United. Um, but yeah, no, this is fantastic stuff. Uh yeah, all your favorites are here. This stuff with Big Barda is really great. Yeah. <laughs> um and I love they have to like pull her out because there's another knockout
0: who is in the Secret Six is also a female yeah. fury from Apocalypse. Right. And they're like, "Okay, we're going to take our toughest
1: character off the table because she's going to be
0: recognized."
1: <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah. Uh and then this scene with Hot Girl uh as she's like slowly approaching the car yeah. Yeah, is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, this is a wonderful, this is a a great, great run uh by Simone. And Nicola Scott ended up just being a revelation at DC. Her oh, work yeah. is so good. And um, yeah, I, I I think this is a huge bite for me as well. Scandal Savage. What a stupid name, though. I, but I ended up loving Scandal. Well yeah, Scandal's great, but she, Scandal, she, Scandal Savage it's is it's the dumbest name. Yeah. We're going to finish strong here and we're going to finish green. It's She-Hulk number 10 from Marvel. It's from 2004. It's written by Dan Slott with art by Paul Pelletier. The price was 2 dollars And here's your solicit. Titania, part one of three. Out of all of She-Hulk's enemies, no one hates her more than Titania. So what's her beef? And where did all of this hostility come from? What? made little Skeeter McFerrin into the angry Amazon she is today. Maybe naming her Skeeter? I
0: don't know. That could, you know.
1: That was a nickname, not her real name. (laughs) Oh, I thought maybe that was her real name. (laughs) No, did you? Yeah. (laughs) And what's about to make her one of the deadliest threats in the Marvel Universe? Special appearances by The Absorbing Man, Spider Woman, parentheses, Julia Carpenter, and parentheses, and Dr. Doom. Now, I hope you're not here looking for a review of yet another She Hulk comic because this here is all about Titania she-hulk's quote-unquote greatest nemesis following recent events in the she-hulk title a mysterious figure seeks help in finding the one being in all the cosmos that hates jennifer walters the most a watcher with an axe to grind and a beard apparently guides him to earth and a woman named skeeter mcferrin aka titania who moments earlier was knocked several states away by an overpowered shulky Writer Dan Slott then flashes us back to the suburbs of Denver, Colorado, and the birth of a premature baby named Mary. Mary is the proverbial runt of the litter, a child that failed to develop physically. She was lost in the commotion of a large family with several siblings and two working-class parents. Just like me. Yep. Exactly. Over like to- me. <laughs> you don't have a large family. You've got two brothers. I was
0: underdeveloped, and I have a large family, and my parents are working class, so Yes preemie little okay. yeah, shrimp I'm of sure a man
1: were, joe is that what you want to hear yeah, matt bomb <laughs> no one has ever said matt bomb was lost in the commotion over the time she would learn to find comfort in stories first fairy tales and then comic books just like matt bomb nicknamed skeeter by a group of dismissive classmates mary became friends with another outcast named marcia her problem she's fat sorry only, they only, just like they only, that bomb
0: this, It keeps they, happening <laughs> They only come, Look,
1: high school outcasts Only come in two varieties Too small and too fat When Denver was snatched from Earth By the Beyonder during the first Secret Wars, Mary and Marsha Are found by a wandering Doctor Doom Who just happens to be strolling around Denver Suburbs And promises them power in exchange for Allegiance. The rest, as they say Is history this is a wonderful issue that offers a ton of great backstory and adds depth to one of my favorite She-Hulk villains. I made a joke earlier, but I actually do really genuinely love Titania.
0: I do, too. And I love her relationship with Creel. They have I a do, too. Relationship.
1: Yes. <laughs> you really feel for Skeeter, who does what a lot of kids in her position do at that age. She lies to make herself seem cooler than she is, and then she gets found out. And obviously, that humiliation only fuels her resentment which just put her on the path to villainy. Kudos to Dan Slott for some really great character work and some fun, deep dives into Marvel continuity. The art is by Marvel legend Paul Pelletier, who has been one of my favorite artists since the 90s, and I've talked about him many times on the show already. So it's gorgeous. You know it. What follows this issue is a really fun ride where Titania finally gets the power to go toe-to-toe with She-Hulk. I can't recommend this run of comics enough but this issue, She Hulk number 10, gets a huge buy it.
0: Yeah. When you say it all out loud, when you lay out the plot, it sounds like the dumbest, most ridiculous, busybody comic book BS that no one could possibly follow. And to be fair, that's what dan slot does best <laughs> it really is kind of because he strips it all down makes it very human adds these little tiny things to characters and their backstories that just makes you go oh my god do i really care about titana all of a sudden <laughs> and, and yeah. it's just great it's so much fun this run was so wonderful and i love that she believed she was the nemesis and made herself the nemesis, you know? And then like later on, flash forward to today where we're reading rainbow Rowell's, you know, she Hulk, and this is still going on, but the relationship yeah. has subtly changed and it's even better. It's so I much know. fun. I love this. It, it's a huge buy it way to go. Dan slot. Yeah. It's so good.
1: I, look, I, I mean, if, one takeaway you should take from this is that Titania rules. Okay, she's great. She's great, even with the cutout, weird, boobed outfit and that goes all the way down to her tummy. It's, you know? it's a, she's it hot. is not a great costume, hot, but baby. it, she it is a, she is a great character. She's very body positive. Well, that's for sure. I mean, she didn't have a body really, and now she's showing it off. Yeah, I mean, you got it, flaunt it. There you go. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can find each episode's review list on our Twitter and our Facebook weekly on Tuesdays. But before we take off our shirts and get back to our usual dick and fuck jokes, Matt, we need to pick one of these comics starring a lovely lady to enter the THN permanent collection. This uh was really hard for me because we picked so much stuff that is like so great and
0: I almost I mean, think- we gave
1: everything a buy it all eight books were buy it. yeah we I almost cheated. think we weren't paying attention.
0: We should have just forced ourselves to like pick stuff that we don't know anything about and just go into it but yeah we kind of cheated right. But I—I I mean, I got to go with Batgirl. If Batgirl, I'm going to say like there was one book in this that just stands out, yeah, and like, like the series I, is still so
1: important to. Me I don't today. even like. I don't even think you need to go like go on like yeah. listen to all the gushing we did. Yeah, 15 minutes ago about Batgirl. Like it's. It is legit one of my favorite comic books of it all It really time.
0: is. It's it's just a
1: near perfect run, and it's man. and that's and this is a and this is one of the peak issues from an already perfect. Oh, run. What a waste
0: of that character! Oh, that kills me.
1: <laughs> what do you mean a waste of that character?
0: I mean after she was so good, and then after oh, that... oh, I she mean after I mean, yeah, it's her a shame. It's a, it's, became, a
1: shame that it's a shame that she became DC orphan crap. And DC man. just kind of forgot to. Uh, DC just kind of. Yeah, couldn't figure out what to do with her after
0: it's time to head to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we are burning all of our Red Guardian Ursa Major and Crimson Dynamo action figures in protest of Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine notice I didn't say Russia this is Vladimir Putin's f- problem, people. And keep that in mind. Joe, I'm also proud that you didn't say the Ukraine, which is something that I have to struggle with every day. Okay. Joe, let's breathe deep the fumes of burning plastic figures. And oh, don't do that. To no. open our minds to the secrets of next week's comics. That's very
1: toxic. There's magic in there. Okay. What's, your, what's your must-read pick for All next week? All right. Matt, Matt, are you okay? You're fading. Uh, my pick for next week is Little Monsters, number one from Image Comics. It's written by Jeff Lemire with art by Dustin Nguyen. its three ninety nine. is $3.99, and here's your solicit. They are the last children on Earth who also happen to be vampires. For longer than they can remember, these child vampires have lived a life of eternal wonder amongst the ruins of humanity. But shocking events fracture the group and set them on a path of discovery that will shatter their innocence forever. Um, I don't even care what the book is about. Like, they honestly, they just kind of, first of all, they had me with Jeff Lemire. And then they were like, but also Dustin Wynn. I was like, oh, okay, all right. I I don't really need to know anything more. I do love a good vampire story. And so I'm excited to read it. But like, you can't go wrong with this pair of creators. You just can't.
0: My pick for next week is Punisher number one from Marvel. Is it really? It really is. It's written by Jason Aaron with art by Jesus Saez. Here's your solicit Will the Punisher's War end? No! Born of tragedy, devoted to war, unstoppable in his rage. As the Punisher, Frank Castle has become the most accomplished killer the world has ever seen. Now, it's time for him to face his true destiny. What shocking secret from Frank's past will convince him to take the reins of the Marvel Universe's most notorious clan of assassins, and once Frank becomes the warlord of the deadly ninjas of the Hand, will it also mean an end for the Punisher? Or, a whole new bloody beginning? Join the superstar team of writer Jason Aaron and artist Jesus Saez and Paul Azaketa for an epic exploration of the dark and violent past and inevitable future of one of Marvel's most iconic characters. Look, no, I'm not going to defend my love of the Punisher. I love the character, and I like. No, the that's stories. funny. That's not what I'm. That's not what I'm, I'm going to let you defend. No. I have to see how they pull this off. If they can pull this off, because the Punisher
1: Shadowland is not a ninja. Shadowland Why are you saying Shadowland? What does that have to do with anything? Because that's the last time a character that we loved Ended
0: up in charge of the hand Yeah, I'm not saying that was cool but i gotta see how they pull this off this is the story where they're gonna change the skull to take it yep. away which i'm sorry is not gonna take it away from the proud boys you guys right? No, it's not you it, may as it, well just own it you know and be like screw you that's not what it is it's ours and i almost think changing it is kind of cowardly to be quite honest you know we but don't know that that's why they're doing it that's absolutely part of why they're doing it jason aaron came out and said in interviews, interview like yeah it's bullshit. but it's gonna go back. you know it's gonna go back of so course that's not good at some point i don't know i've got to see how they if They can pull this off. Love the art. Jesus, yes, kicks ass. I mean, I do love Jesus. I have no, I have,
1: I have zero confidence in this. I'm sorry. I I, 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 like, look, I've got nothing against Jason Aaron. I like I, Jason Aaron is a writer that does that despite how I have felt about his recent work on Avengers, he is still a writer that I am excited about when a new project gets announced. Um, I have no confidence in this. I looked at the preview art, I heard the I read the stuff about him j- joining the hand and getting that weird like dragon demon head yeah skull out on his chest. Why is he wearing the same costume with just a different logo? That is stupid. Because they want it, I guess uh, they want him to
0: look like the Punisher nope. so he scares people. Sorry, like, I don't know. Nope. We'll see. No we'll see. No. No. I gotta
1: see. Nobody why do people in Japan even know who the Punisher is? Because no. he's the most famous killer in the
0: whole world. They absolutely know who he is. They know who serial killers have killed much less people are
1: in the United States and Japan. Imagine if you will, you are in a situation where you see a hundred hand ninjas show up. Look, I'm not saying. And then also the American Punisher. I'm not saying this isn't ridiculous. Are you going to be more scared? I'm saying
0: I need to see how they pull this off and... Yes, maybe. Yeah, right. No. <laughs> uh, I, look, I'm willing to be proven wrong, but right now I am just like dreading like, it. If a group okay, of vampires show up with John Wayne Gacy, yeah, I'm even more scared.
1: <laughs> right? I, I mean, okay. The THN trade of the week goes to God hates astronauts colon the Omni Bus trade paperback. It's from Image Comics for $39.99, and here is your... Oh, it's written by Ryan Brown, with art by Ryan Brown and various. Here's your solicit. 14 years in the making, Ryan Brown's... Uh, you know him from Curse Words and Quantum and Woody. Yeah. Absurdist, cult sensation goof book is available in one remastered tome. GHA, as the cool kids call it, is the gonzo, quote-unquote, story of a group of NASA-funded super-powered egomaniacs who are paid a living wage to stop unregistered agrarian space travel. Agrarian, yes. Remember that movie, The Astronaut Farmer? No? Well, it's like that, but with superpowers, goofs, and wild punching. But Our wonderful main characters are very bad at their jobs and waste time focusing on extramarital affairs, big gross heads, and 3D cowboys, causing an intergalactic incident that leads to an all-out space crab invasion of Earth. Bring on the jokes. I'm not sure why we ended it with that, but there it is.
0: This quote from from, uh, Jonathan Hickman is pretty good, though.
1: (laughs) Yes. uh, I don't want to oversell what Ryan Brown has accomplished here, but I gave God Hates Astronauts to a blind man, and he regained his sight, end quote. (laughs) Jonathan Hickman, East of West, the Manhattan Project, the Avengers. Uh, This collects God Hates Astronauts Volumes 1 through 3, The 3D Cowboys, 2D Spectacular, (laughs) Goats Eat Castanets, number minus one, colon, the Garbage Edition, Grenade Horse Apocalypse, number zero, and The Head That Wouldn't Die, number four. Now, I know that some of those are real, but I'm willing to bet that some of them are also not real. I think some of them were internet stuff that he did. Uh, I know that The Head That Wouldn't Die is real because I read
0: it. Well, yeah, Uh, and I think some of the other things were, like, extras that were in comics. That was just, like, Uh, a fake comic uh, book
1: or something. Grenade Horse Apocalypse. I feel like I would have remembered that. Right. Um, Also, yeah, like, God God Hates Astronauts did begin as a web comic, so there's a lot of internet stuff. Uh, So now, Joe Patrick, you longtime listeners might be saying to yourself, you guys reviewed the first volume of God hates astronauts way back in the day. And it was the first time you got called out for saying that a book is quote, not for everyone. And I stand by it at the time, but I'm glad that they put the word story in quotes in this solicit, because really you should not go into God hates astronauts expecting anything more than just like a series of ridiculous events tied together with the loosest narrative yeah it is absurdist it's wonderful yeah, you're right it's absurdive it's absurdist comedy craziness and if, it is so good and if it's not for you you might not have a good sense of humor and you might be a jerk there you go it's, i mean uh, yeah uh but yeah no god hates astronauts it is it's just it is a wild time but don't try to make sense of it because that is not the point it's good it's good, good stuff though it's really fun you can find our picks of the week every
0: Wednesday on our Twitters and our Facebook, but you're probably reading something equally absurdist too. Be sure to let us know right there on our post so we don't miss anything good. We want to read good stuff to you guys. Excelsior. That is it for THN 656. And next week, we're back to reviewing new comics because that's what we do best. And We'll give you a sneak peek of our Patreon extra segment. But if you kids want to rap about this week's episode, any of the lovely ladies we discussed, or any of the weekly nerdy news that we're following, hit us up on our live call-in THN cover-to-cover show. Every Saturday at 11 central time, hosted on our Facebook page. And don't forget, you need a little something to get the conversation started. We've got the question. Of the week.
1: All right, this will be the third time I've read this ridiculous question. Uh, I'm going to try to uh, not make it ridiculous. I had to this edit so much the last time. We know. About all right, it. so I'm, I'll, I'll I'll try to be good. This week's question was submitted by Mark Tarrington. After a recent cycling accident, I have been temporarily deprived of the use of one of my arms. This got me thinking about characters with an unusual number of arms in comics. My question is, who are your favorite characters with an unusual number of arms? This can be more or fewer than the number you might expect given the character's species and can be a temporary condition. For example, Mark's pick is Peter Parker from the Six Arms saga. He looks great with the extra arms. Yes, you could pick Bucky. I'm saying no, you can't. Be more creative. You can do better. So characters that have more or fewer arms or legs than they should have based on you know what they are if Hearts, it's a human being two <laughs> arms two legs perfect if they have tank treads instead of legs that counts sure if they have one good arm and one bionic arm does not count no i don't want to hear about that it.
0: would be two that would be a normal amount of appendages we want abnormal oh.
1: no i Look, I tried to say that if the second appendage itself is abnormal, that counts, but you're gonna have to really make
0: a case for it. No, does not count.
1: We can't stop people
0: more or we can they can
1: talk all they want. We can say nope, doesn't <laughs> Well that's fine. <laughs> they don't have to listen to us. Uh thank you, Mark, for your question. I can't wait to dig in. Uh please keep your question of the week suggestions coming. We like to have you guys suggest these, uh, because you are very creative and we are very not. If you want to play along with Cover to Cover Live, you can join our Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook Live video chat. If you can't be there live, shoot an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline 402-819-4894 and you could be internet famous. Now, if you're going to send in a an audio message either via mp3 or the voicemail hotline please keep it to two minutes or less so that we can share the air with all of the live call-in listeners and there are a lot of them if you're new to the show and
0: you can't believe two guys would take an entire episode to discuss what they think about how women should be depicted. I totally get that. But I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. (laughs) I
1: mean, and let's be honest, though. Are you sure you can't believe it? Isn't that kind of like the entire internet right now? Yeah, you
0: know. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at Twitternerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of empowered, badass female donors like our patron, Allison York, See, we do have women that listen to the show, and I'm sick of you jerks telling us we don't, all right? They're out there. Allison, thank you. And if you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. Sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash 2 nerd. You will hear all kinds of exclusive content, like our Patreon extras. You can get those for a dollar a month. If you want to be a $5 a month and above, you can get giant epic segments. Like I mentioned in the beginning of this show, we just did another Slack issues for X-Men The Fall of Mutants. It was a riot. Uh, and
1: look, just to prepare you both physically and emotionally, that 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 episode—it's not a segment. It's it's a special. It's episode, two damn right? hours. It, we it switched our pants, folks. It was crazy. Yeah, like I was like my shirt was literally wet yeah. from sweat because it's hot in this I, my office. My throat hurt after that from all the screaming, yeah. and I was all worked <laughs> up. I was all worked up. Yeah, you
0: got into a lather, didn't you? I did. You can also a... just click
1: our PayPal donate now button. A few bucks at us. We love it when you do. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to legendary Hollywood producer Alan Ladd Jr., aka Laddie, a dude. <laughs> Look, man. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. <laughs> po Po Buddy's effect, okay? Who helped bring classics like Young Frankenstein, Alien, and Blade Runner to the silver screen when the 20th Century Fox board of directors wanted to shut down the troubled production of Star Wars. It was Ladd's direct support of George Lucas that helped the film get made. Overall, his films earned more than 50 Academy Awards, including two Best Picture wins and more than 150 nominations. Ladd passed away peacefully today, Wednesday, March 2nd, at home, surrounded by family at the age of 84. Or do you,
0: Laddie? I will say. Had they stopped the production of Star Wars, there'd probably be a lot less fighting on the internet. You know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, What kind of, you know what? Uh, Not his fault. I would (laughs) would go so far as to say the entire world would be different. Yeah, not his fault at all.
0: Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just hang a no boys allowed sign on the front door. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off. Boys with a Z, of course.